Well, we are at the end of the book of Second Peter. This is our last study in the book of Second Peter. And this letter, this book, is, is shorter than the first book that Peter wrote. But it's no less important. It is a powerful, powerful book. The context uh, that is that is in this book three verse or three chapters they're powerful they're vital for us as Christians to understand what it means to grow in Christ this book has so much to do with us personally in speaking to us as what we are to be doing as Christians to grow in Christ and so it's an important book because it, it, it just teaches us that if we are stagnant, if we're not growing, then we get in trouble. It's, it's not a good place to be. And, and part of the reason that, that Peter writes this letter was to remind his readers to be diligent, to beware. He reminds them to be growing, to continue to grow. To be diligent means to hasten or to make haste. To, to, to make every effort and to do it with all eagerness. That's what it means to be diligent. Be, be, because God has already provided everything that we need for life and godliness. It is up to us as believers to follow after that, to do all we can to be diligent, to find out what it means to grow in Christ. And so again, He has already given it all to us. And so we are the ones that need to be diligent. Several times we, we hear that throughout this letter, to be diligent. The theme of this book has been the last days. And so because of that, there is a warning to beware. To beware because false teachers and scoffers will come. And these, these False teachers and these scoffers, they come to draw men to themselves and to draw them away from God. And so Peter, chapter 2, just kind of deals and hammered the fact that, that there are, are, are false teachers that have come into, in, into their lives. And even as we start at chapter, chapter 3, he, he reminds them that scoffers would come. That they would be in and among them. And the last reason that he is writing this book was to encourage his readers to be growing. Because again, if we're not growing in the Lord, there's something wrong. If, if we're not moving forward in the Lord, growing in the Lord, then there's something that's happening in our lives and we need to be able to check ourselves to see if we are even in the faith. Because if we are in Christ, if we are in the faith, then we need to be growing. What happens in, in, in even in, in, in a pond, if, if, if the, water, the, the water is just stagnant, it, it, you know, if, it, if it's not flowing anywhere, it just becomes stagnant. And the water becomes no good. If, if we're not progressing in Christ, moving forward, then we're going to, to fall. It, it's much like when, when you're in an airplane, if you're not... If, 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 if you're not thrusting, as soon as you stop thrusting, you're going to start headed down. <laughs> and so the, 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 the encouragement is that we are to continue to keep growing. Paul tells us in, in the last chapter of Second Corinthians, 
13, verse 5, that we are to check ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Again, we, we, we need to be checking ourselves because if we truly are, man, there should be some kind of a desire within us to be growing, to be moving forward. We, we have been studying through Peter's letters since October. That we, we, we've been hanging out with Peter for quite some time. And my hope and my desire is that, that you've come to love and appreciate Peter. I, I've shared with you, he's, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I, I, I love this man. And I think a lot of us, we identify with Peter because the way we read about him in the, in the Gospels, we see how he's always messing up. He, he's, he's always putting his foot in his mouth or doing something dumb. And we identify with him because we often do those kinds of things. And it's like, man, if there's a guy I could identify with, it's old Pete. Because Pete always messes up, and we are always messing up. And, and oftentimes, we make fun of him. But it's only because we're probably making fun of ourselves. He is, he is like, like the Rodney Dangerfield of the apostles. He gets no respect, you know? He, he doesn't seem to get any respect. But yet, he is the one, the only one who has ever walked on water besides Jesus. He's the only one that's ever done that. And people say, yeah, but he sank. It's like, you try it. You try it. You get out there and walk on water. Because he walked all the way to Jesus. And even though he began to sink, God brought him up. And guess what? He walked back with Jesus on the water. Nobody else has ever done that except old Pete. And so oftentimes we don't give him the respect. Because he was a goofball at times. But to me... Peter has become a great man of God. As I've been studying his, his, his letters and, and as, as I've been teaching through his letters, I, he, I, I just truly appreciate this man. I, I'm inspired by him because he was diligent to continue going. He, he, he was aware of those who were coming in that were false teachers and prophets around. And so he, he, he was protecting even the flock because he was aware. And one of the things that I love about this guy is that he continued to grow in Christ. And you look at him and, and you read his letters here and you see some maturity. He did not just like, hey man, I'm one of the apostles. I could kick back. I could do whatever I want. No, he continued to grow in the Lord. And I love the fact that when he is sharing with us in his letter, he is sharing with passion. He, he has passion behind what he is sharing. And a lot of the things that, that, that we have covered are things that he experienced when he was walking with Jesus and even in the book of Acts. And when he messed up, and he's talking about things in here, in his letters, about how he messed up and how, man, now, man, he understands it way better. Because he went through it. He made his mistakes. And so when he's sharing, he's sharing with compassion and with passion. Because he understood. He was there. He, he, it's not like he was teaching just theology and, and here, this is about God. No, he went through the practical part of learning about God. And so I love the fact that Peter just teaches with passion. There's such growth that happened in this man's life because of what he, he, he went through. And so... Here we go. We're in Second um, Peter chapter 3. We're going to cover from verse 14 to, to the end of the chapter, but just, let's just go to verse 1 and read the whole thing. It says, Beloved, 
I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist in their own, uh, to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall, from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Wow. You know, a little side note here. I read the whole chapter to you because even though we're covering a certain portion, I, I know that not everybody reads through the whole chapter. And, and here's the interesting thing. I have such a hard time reading. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm sure you guys are going, yes, we know. 
And yet, God has allowed me to teach and to read. Uh, that's my life. That's what I get to do. And as hard as it is for me, I know that it, it's good for us to read all of it. I could have just started in verse 14. You would, thought, you would think that because I have such a hard time reading, I would do the minimal of reading. <laughs> but I find it interesting for me that I need to read all of it so we can capture all of it. So bear with me when we read a lot, okay? Uh, I think it's important that we kind of read the whole thing. Side note done. Okay, back to the study. Verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I, I, I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago that Peter uses the word beloved only eight times in both of his letters. Only eight times in both of them. He used it twice in his first letter, right? And then he, he uses it once in chapter 1 of this letter, but yet we get to the last chapter and he uses the word beloved five times in this chapter. Now, one of those five times that he uses it in this chapter, he uses it towards the Apostle Paul, referring to him as our, our beloved brother Paul. And, and, and it's interesting because, again, um, he, he uses it four other times here in, in this way. Okay, he, he, he says in verse 1, Beloved, be mindful. He, he's saying, I love you so much, my people, that I want you to remember and I want you not to forget the things that, that, that I've been teaching you. And so he says in verse 1, I will stir you up, reminding you always, beloved. And then in verse 8, he says, beloved, be not ignorant. In other words, don't forget. Don't forget that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He is awesome. He is so big. Don't forget about these kinds of things. And here, where we're starting off in verse 14, he says, beloved, be diligent. Do all you can. Do everything possible to, to find yourself in the peace of God. Do everything possible within you to, to, to do that. And then in verse 17, he uses the word beloved once again for the last time. And he says, beloved, beware. Beware. Lest you fall. Beware. I love you so much. I don't want you to fall. Beloved, I love you so much that... That if, you, if you're not careful, you're going to put down your guard. And so that's the way he uses the word beloved in, these last, in this last chapter. But before he tells his beloved to be diligent, he, he tells them to look forward. He says, looking forward to these things. Which things? Well, the things that, again, we just read throughout this, this chapter. There, there's so much that we need to be looking forward to. But in particular... What we need to be looking forward to is His promise. He doesn't say promise says. He says His promise. He, he, he told us, hey, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. The, 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 the scoffers were saying, hey, where's the, the promise of His coming? And He's saying, hey, I want you to look forward to His coming. I want you to, to be aware. He, I, he, we are exhorted throughout the Scriptures that we are always to look forward. 
We're to look for His coming. We're to be vigilant. We're to be sober about His coming. Now, last week when I was talking to you and we're covering this portion of Scripture before this, we're talking about the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord has nothing to do with us as believers. We're looking forward to the rapture and then we're out of here. The day of the Lord is not until the end, the, the, the end of the tribulation and the end of, of, of the millennial time. We won't be a part of that. And yet he's still telling the believers, hey, I want you to look forward to that promise. Why? Because that is where righteousness dwells. See, our main focus is not the destruction that the day of the Lord will bring. Our focus is that the day of the Lord, when that finally happens, when all the heavens and all the earth are dissolved, then we will be in the presence of righteousness forever. We will be in the presence of Jesus forever. See, we get to experience His righteousness today. The man's through faith that we get to do that. But one day it will be face to face and we will be in that righteousness, where righteousness dwells. Hebrews, uh, and I'm going to give you guys the last scriptures to be writing these things down. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where righteousness dwells, at the right hand of God. And we get to be looking to that. We're to be looking forward. As Christians, we are exhorted throughout Scripture all the time that we are to look forward because that is where our hope lies. Our hope does not lie in the past. The past is the past. We can't do anything about it. We are not to be looking back. We are always to be looking forward and we're to be looking up continually. That is is, is what we as Christians are supposed to be doing. The past is gone. It is done away with. And there is no hope looking backwards. Our hope is forward. When I was looking at this, I was reminded of John chapter 6. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, in in chapter 6 in particular, that here Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and people are coming after Him. And Jesus is saying, man, you're only coming because I gave you food. And during that time in in John chapter 6, He begins to go deeper and deeper with them, more in the spiritual aspect, to where He's saying, you want food, but I am the bread of life. You want the physical, but I want to give you the spiritual. And He ends up telling them, hey... Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And these people are like freaking out, man. It's like, what? You want us to bite your arm? What is that all about? He wasn't talking about cannibalism at all. He's saying, I want you to eat of me, drink of me. I, I, I want this to be so spiritual. I want to be in you. And yet the Bible tells us in in John chapter 6, towards the end, that many people are saying, ah, this is a hard saying. Who can can understand this? And they walked away. And when we get to verses 66 to 69 of that chapter, we have uh, Jesus telling his disciples, once everybody's walked away, says, hey, do you guys want to go back? Do you guys want to leave also? And we have Pete, man. We have Peter. The guy that we're studying, he is the one that steps up. He says, where else are we going to go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. Why do I want to go back? Nobody will give me what you're going to give me. We have that hope of eternal life. See, so many people 
ended up having or, or, or turned because what Jesus was offering was hard. He was taking them deeper. He was taking them into a spiritual realm that they were going like, oh, I don't know. Guys, in the beginning of this year, I was sharing the vision for our church to go deeper. And many of you going, yes, I want to go deeper. And all of a sudden we decided, okay, let's go for it. Let's go deeper. Lord, stretch me. And all of a sudden he begins to stretch you and he's taking you deeper. And you're going, oh, geez, this is kind of hard. Oh my gosh, I didn't know it was going to be this tough wanting to go deeper and closer to God. And see, I was using the analogy of let's go out into the deep waters where you can't touch the bottom anymore. Because when we get out to deep waters, then it's either sink or swim in Christ. But if we're close enough to the shore, then we go back to what we know, to where we can get on solid ground. It's like, I'm cool. I'm in Christ. I'm in the water. But I don't want to go out there because it's hard. And so we end up going back and we forget about looking forward. And many, and, and, and again, I'm proud of a lot of you guys, man, because you're starting to go deeper and you've shared with me how tough it's been in your life. And some of you, it's like, I don't want to go talk to Zeke because he's going to ask me about going deeper. And I, I, I went back to the shore. And I'm okay at the shore. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. But I don't know if I want to go any deeper. And you see, here, people end up looking back instead of looking forward. Guys, it's hard going deep. It's hard to go out where you can't touch the bottom and you don't, don't know what's going to happen. And it is tough. And we are exhorted, though, to look forward, to look up, to go deep. That's what we're, we're exhorted to do. We are to stand fast. We are to stand firm in our faith. We are to stand. But we are to walk in the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit. And he's not talking about a moonwalk backwards. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about walking forward, taking ground in the Spirit. That's what we're commanded to do. There's, there, there's no room for us to turn back. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. When you have decided to, to, to follow Jesus, it, it, it's going forward, not turning back, no turning back. For you guys that don't know, that's like a song. I would sing it, but we won't have enough time. Some of you guys are like, why does he keep on saying turning back, turning back? Proverbs even tells us that we are to not even look to the right or the left. We are to look straight ahead. It tells us in Proverbs 4, 25 to 27, it says, let your eyes look straight ahead. And your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. We are exhorted time and time again that our focus is onward. It's to go forward, not to retreat, not even go to the right or to the left. Because we get ourselves in trouble when all of a sudden we're veering off and we're deciding to do other things. And so we are told to look forward, to, to, to look forward to the things that are ahead. If we walk straight and keep our eyes on Jesus, doing all we can, making every effort to be diligent, to stay close, then we will be found by Him in peace. That's what verse 14 tells us. 
that if we are diligent or being diligent to be found by Him in peace. Jesus is peace. He is peace. He has provided peace for us. So we are to be found in Him in peace. You see, that's our responsibility to find ourselves in peace with Him. See, He has provided it because that's who He is. He can't help but be peace. And so if we don't have peace in our lives, why is that? Because He's already provided that peace. We are to find ourselves in peace. Jeremiah Mendoza taught about this this last Thursday about being found or being in peace because Jesus is our peace. He himself has become our peace, it says. And we need to find ourselves in peace. You see, if if we find ourselves in peace, then, then, then in reality, and this is what Jeremiah was sharing the other day, there shouldn't be any enemies in our life. Oh, they can be my enemy. I mean, I I could be their enemy or whatever, however it might work. They might not like me, but I shouldn't be not liking people. Why? Because I have peace. I have peace. I'm supposed to be in peace. I'm supposed to live in peace with everybody around me. Because Jesus is our peace. And what an awesome place to be. You see, everybody wants peace in their life. People are searching for peace all the time. And we have the privilege to be found in peace because of who Jesus Christ is. He has offered that to us because that is who He is. He can't help but offer it to us because, again, it's like, man, you want me, you have my peace. My peace I give you, not the kind of peace that the world gives you. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. That's why we should be desiring to see other people saved so they can experience the very peace that you get to experience day in and day out. That's why we should be telling people about Jesus because we see people and they don't have peace in their life. And yet we're basking in this peace. We have the privilege to bask in this peace day in and day out. And yet sometimes we look at people it's like, eh, whatever. It's like, no, our hearts should hurt for them. We should desire that they know the peace, that they be saved so they can be found in peace. And then he says that they would also be without spot and blameless. And this is quite a contrast from, from the false teachers that in the last chapter, uh, Peter said that they were spots and blemishes. That's who false teachers are, but not us, not as believers. We are to be without spot and without blemish. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, just as He chose us in him, uh, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before Him in love. He has chosen us to be spotless, to be holy and without blame. He's already chosen us to do that from the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, it says this, that He might present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish see jesus one day will present us to god as having not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing you see in other words in one sense god already sees us without spot and blameless 
He sees us that way because of who Jesus Christ is in our lives. It it cost Him dearly. He sees us pure and clean and spotless and blameless through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because that portion of Scripture, He's talking about marriage, right? If you guys are familiar with chapter 5 of Ephesians. And He's telling the husband there that the husband is to look at his wife as not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy. Husbands? Overlook your wife's faults. That's what he's saying. Because You know why? Because that's what Jesus does for the church. And just as Jesus presents us faultless, husbands, you will one day present your wife faultless. Because it is our job as husbands to overlook any spot or wrinkle or blemish that they might have. That's what we're to do. I know some of you husbands are like, you're kidding me. It's like, Do you want Jesus to look at all your spots and wrinkles? No. No. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and wash her with the water of the word. That he might present her to himself not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You see, Jesus already looks at us pure, clean, blameless. And then he says this in verse 15, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. That is beautiful. That is amazing. That brings hope, not just for us, but for other people. The fact is, the longer God waits to come back, to return, for these things to happen as he's been sharing, the more people get saved. His long-suffering produces salvation. Because He waits long, because He suffers long, people have the opportunity to get saved. His long-suffering brings about salvation. Uh, In Romans 2, 4, Paul says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. The longer he waits, the more opportunities we have to go share the gospel, to see people come to him so they too can experience what you get to experience day in and day out. Every, t- every, every day that the day of the Lord hasn't occurred, <laughs> there's salvation happening. And we should be grateful for that. Because of his long suffering, you were saved. Because of his long sufferings, I was saved. Many of you a year ago were not saved and are now because of his long suffering. With, with what we know about what will happen in the future, we should want to tell everybody about the future. Our, our, our desire is not to see the day of the Lord come so we can see the destruction. No, our desire should be because the day of the Lord comes or when it comes, we will see and, and experience the righteousness of God. But until that time, We get to see people get saved. You see, Jesus offers this peace today. People get to have the peace of God and peace with God. And so, again, his his long suffering produces patience or produces um, salvation in our lives. In, In that same verse, it says, as also our beloved brother Paul 
Peter here is, is not challenging Paul's writings in any way, shape, or form. If anything, he is affirming the writings that they are the wisdom from God and that they are Scripture, they are God's Word. He is affirming what Paul had been sharing. And it's interesting because here we see Peter kind of affirming Paul and kind of raising him up and saying, no, the things that God has given him are wisdom and understanding so that he writes these things. And it's interesting because if you know the book of Galatians, again, there was a time where Paul had to go confront Peter for being a hypocrite. And yet he still calls him, ah, my beloved brother, Paul. He, he understood being rebuked. Sometimes it's what needed to happen as we read in Proverbs even this morning, that those who are rebuked you know, the godly, the, the righteous, they will accept that rebuke. And Peter did. He understood and he still loved Paul because of that. And those who Peter is referring to here that, that were twisting the word, that were, that were having uh, or distorting the, 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 the scriptures that Paul wrote, um, he's talking about the false teachers and the scoffers here. Now, I understand that, that sometimes reading even some of Paul's letters are hard to understand. But even if they're hard for us to understand, doesn't mean that we twist and distort the scriptures. But you see, the false teachers and the scoffers, it's not that they didn't totally understand the word. It just didn't fit their agenda. And so they'd make it sound or say what they wanted it to say. And they they twist it, they distort it. Verses 17 and 18. It says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness and be led away with the error of the wicked but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ once again this is the fourth time in this last chapter that Peter refers to his readers as beloved which means dear ones dear friends It is such an endearing term to call someone beloved like that. And I could almost picture Peter just touching the face of his beloved so tenderly, looking in his eyes, looking in, you know, capturing their eyes and stuff, kind of mushy. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, Peter's not that mushy. Peter's never been mushy. And yet, at the end of the book, he becomes almost mushy keeps on calling them beloved. <laughs> and it's interesting because I was always thinking, I was like, I'm like the mushiest guy to some of my brothers here. I mean, I even creep them out sometimes because <laughs> I'm so mushy with them. But Peter wasn't like that. Peter was a, he was a, he was a man. I don't think I could ever call Peter a little girl in that sense. But he, he, he looks a little mushy here, you know, continuing to call them beloved. But... As I thought about this, I thought, wait a minute, he's at the end of his life. He's going to be dying soon. I think he truly wanted to, to make sure his readers, the church, knew how beloved they were. Might not, not have had that chance to tell them how much he loved them anymore after this. And so we see a little bit of mushiness going on in his life, but that's okay. He truly, truly loved his brethren. And then he says, since you know this beforehand, Peter had made it his mission to make sure that his readers were, were well aware 
of what was going on around them and even in their midst, even within the church. He made it his mission to remind them. He says that he says this to them in, their first, in his first letter, and, and he made it a point to remind them in the second letter. He says, I will not be negligent to remind you always. As long as I am in this tent, I will continue to remind you. And in his last conclusion of this letter, he reminds them once again to beware. And the phrase, since you know this, is made up of one Greek word. And I'm going to try to do it some justice. I probably will jack it up in the Greek. But it's prognoseiko. Prognis. Anyway, it's to know, to know beforehand. To foresee. It, it is where we get our English word prognosis. Since you know this beforehand, that, that, that's where we get the word prognosis. Again, if a medical doctor, a doctor comes to you and gives you a prognosis, that means, okay, now we're letting you know what we have found out. And because we've given you the prognosis, now you have to do something about it. And usually it's like, eat healthier, do some exercise. (laughs) That's usually, you know, here's the remedy. You know, you're fat. Lose some weight. That's usually what doctors like to say. If there's any doctors, please excuse me. But, but that's what you like to say. But anyways, be that as it may. Because once the prognosis is made, then it's up to the patient to do something about it. And that's what Peter is saying. They, the prognosis is, beware, because there's false teachers, there's all these things. Now that you know this, he's telling them, beware lest you fall. Be careful. You know, as a kid or even as a teenager, one can say, well, I don't know. I didn't know because of immaturity. But as an adult, if you have been told, if you have been warned, if the prognosis has been given to you, and I know that some people can plead ignorance or immaturity, being a young Christian or new Christian or new believer, when it, but when it comes to the Word of God, Everything we need, the prognosis has already been written out. It's all in here. Everything is in here. And, and again, maybe you're a new Christian, you haven't really be, began, begun to read it. But here's the remedy. Everything you need for life and godliness is in here. It, it will teach you. The doctor, the physician has already given you the prognosis. And so it is up to us to read it. <clears throat> And if you've begun to read parts of it, you've already known what you should do because he's already given you the prognosis, right? And so oftentimes we cannot plead ignorance anymore. As Christians, we, we, we can't because it's already been written down for us. Everything that, that, that we need is, is already provided for us. We need to be diligent to find out what we need to do if we don't know what to do. Because if we find out what we need to do, then, then changes can happen in our lives. Not because of our own strength, because the doctors already told us, Here, here's what you do. You do this, it'll go well with you. <laughs> if you exercise, it'll do in the Lord. <laughs> it will be well for you. 
And I know that sometimes we have the tendency of saying, well, I already know it. I've read some of it. I already know. Really? Then why aren't you doing it? You know, that, 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 if, we, if we know, some people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Or people feel like, oh, I, I, I know enough. I know enough that I'm not going to hell and I'm going to heaven. Isn't that good enough? It's like, well, I guess if that's what you want. <laughs> but there's so much more that God wants us to be doing. Because when we get to a point where we think we know it all already, we tend to drop our guard because, well, I already know. And when we get to that point where we drop our guard, we become like the, dro- the, the boxer who has dropped his guard. And now he is vulnerable to a knockout. <laughs> and pretty soon, it's only a matter of time that he will be kissing the canvas because <laughs> he dropped his guard. And he's out for the count. The word beware means to be on your guard. To be on your guard. I don't think anybody, you know, if you like to play football or soccer, if you saw a, a warning sign that says warning, you know, the field's right there, warning, landmines. I don't think you, well, you know, you, you can probably, ah, I can still play. You won't be playing for long because you've been warned there's landmines and pretty soon you're going to be blown to smithereens. See, there, there's warnings that, 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 and if we don't keep our mind, our, our, our guard up, then, then we were, we're going to get hurt. We're going to fall in that sense. A, any sign that says, beware, we should be paying attention to it. And anytime we see in Scripture the word beware, we need to be paying attention to it. And in the spiritual sense, and I don't care how strong you are or how strong you think you are, you will fall. It's only a matter of time if you let your guard down. If you think you're strong enough, oh, that could never happen to me. It's like, beware. The warning that Peter is giving his readers, and that includes us, is that false teachers, and Satan for that matter, are never satisfied just to bring down one or two people every here and there, now and then. No, they... They don't play by the rules. They never say, ah, I think I've brought enough people down. No, they're, they're in it for the long haul. They, they want to bring every believer down. They don't ease up. And yet, oftentimes as Christians, we begin to coast and we think like, ah, I don't have to battle. I don't have to fight. And Satan, man, he plays for keeps. He really does. And even though you, you, you may not lose your salvation or you won't lose your salvation, he will make you ineffective by, by causing you to fall from your steadfastness. He knows what's at stake and he plays for keeps. And the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians ten twelve. He says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And that's basically what Peter is saying here too. Beware, be on your guard. Do not let up because your enemy won't. The Amplified reads, uh, reads like this in verse 17. Let me warn you, therefore, beloved, that knowing these things beforehand, you should be on your guard, lest you be carried away by the errors, the error of 
lawless and wicked persons and fall uh, from your own present firm condition, your own steadfastness of mind. The warning goes out, beware. And then the last verse here, as we finish up, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. After telling them to be diligent, to beware, Peter gives them the last encouragement. And he says, be growing, be growing in the Lord. He had already told them that they had been given everything that is needed that pertains to life and godliness. And all they needed was the knowledge of him who called them by glory and virtue. That's chapter 1, verse 3. He also told them how they could grow, and that would be by becoming partakers of the divine nature, verse 4 of chapter 1. And after that, they were to exercise their faith, verses 5 through 7 in chapter 1. Add to your faith virtue, he says, and then he goes on and on. He says, exercise one and and develop another. There is something in almost every kid that they're just not satisfied who they are. They want to be grown-ups. Kids want to be like their moms and dads. As little kids, it's like, I want to be like mom and dad. And even teenagers, they want to be older than they really are. Not that they want to get old. (laughs) They just want to act older and be older. Which, by the way, that will happen anyways. They're going to get old. And it's funny because, you know, as teenagers, we want to be older, and then we get older, and it's like, I want to be younger now. (laughs) Sucks getting old. (laughs) But be that as it may, there is something within us, there is a desire when we are young to get or to grow up. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's a natural thing. We should want to grow up. The unnatural thing would be not to grow. And it's interesting because we we do this with our plants and trees. If we plant something, we're not like, man, I hope it never grows. (laughs) No, you plant it and then you get bummed out if it's not growing. It's like something's wrong. It's that I don't have a green thumb. Dang it. No, something is wrong if, if things are not growing. We, you know, if, if they're not wa- uh, growing properly, we, we wonder something, ha- I did something wrong or something's not happening. See, the natural progression is that things would grow. The same thing is true in our Christian life. There should be this natural desire in us as believers to grow. And I understand that, that growing, man, it hurts. <laughs> And sometimes we feel like, man, nothing is happening in my life. And yet, I mean, I often go, go back to this. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And I think oftentimes we forget that. You know, we, we take, you know, three or four steps forward and then we fall back and, you know, three steps. And it's like, ah, oh, I'm never getting ahead. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have one step. <laughs> and so you look at that. See, we should be desiring to grow continuously. And and, and when he says here, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it it, it means continue to grow. Always be growing. Always desiring to to grow. And now, I understand that, that we can have knowledge and know what the Bible says, but it's all intellectual and not relational. And so we need to be careful with that because Paul said this. He says, knowledge puffs up, 
But love edifies. In other words, love builds up. Love grows. And so we need to not only have the knowledge to know what we need to grow in, but it is the grace part of it that helps us understand our relationship with Jesus Christ. It helps us understand His kindness, His favor, and His love that God has granted to us. His undeserved favor towards us. We have been saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift. And Terry Payne taught on that a couple Thursdays ago and did it some justice. (laughs) But we are to grow in grace for the rest of our time here on earth, guys. Because if we're not growing, we become stagnant. If we're not growing, we we, we will revert back. (laughs) We will miss out on the blessings that God has for us. And so we are to keep growing in the grace and knowledge. There are so many different facets to grace in our lives. In every situation that you find yourself in, you could see the grace of God. In every challenge of life, there is the grace of God that will keep you and and, and hold you. Growing in the grace also means that we experience trials and tribulations. But... That is when we know that His grace is sufficient for all situations for us, guys. And so He finishes off by saying, To Him be glory both now and forever. All glory belongs to Him. Let me read it in the Amplified and we'll close up here. He says, But grow in the grace, undeserved favor, spiritual strength and recognition and knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the Messiah. To Him be glory, honor, majesty, and splendor, both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. So be it. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you once again for your faithfulness, Lord. To be able to go through this book, Lord, to learn, Lord God, what it means to grow. And the fact that you have given us all that we need to, to grow, Lord. Everything that, that, that pertains to life and godliness, you have given it to us, Lord. Father, it is our responsibility to grow, to know what your word says. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would have a hunger, they would have a desire, they would have a drive to be diligent to grow, Lord. That they would always beware of what the, the enemy is doing here in this world, Lord God, of trying to trip us up, to make us ineffective, Lord. But I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters that they would be growing in you, Lord. That you'd give them that hunger, that desire to not stay where they're at, Lord, but desire to grow. And I praise you, Lord God, that you give us that desire if we press into you, if we seek your face, Lord, daily. And I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as